Welcome to Everyday Therapist. I'm Rich from the UK. And I'm Cody from the United States. Before we jump in, we just want to say that this podcast does not constitute... I want to touch base on how is your, uh, your camp out? It, it was cold. <laughs> it was really cold, actually. I mean, in reality, it was a couple of degrees C. I don't know what that is in American. Cold. Um, but it, it was cold, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't... I mean, it was okay, and, and we had a fire out there. And, and just so that you know what I'm talking about... Uh, me and a couple of mates took some hammocks and found some woodland not too far from where I live. And uh, we we stayed out on Friday night and it was good. So it, it was cold. And in the night, I because there was quite a strong breeze and my gear wasn't really quite up to scratch. So I was it was an interesting experience, actually, because very rarely have I, you know, do you feel that you're not in control of the situation and I was like I'm actually really cold here and there's nothing I can do about it until the morning yeah so uh so yeah so that's why yeah that that's fun for me (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah sounds fun sleeping sleeping in a hammock uh when when snow's on the ground (laughs) yes yeah yeah no it was great it was great and and the night before or or on the evening of we, we sat around and had a campfire and some nice conversation and a couple of drinks and so it was it was really great experience and that whole sort of connecting with nature thing and yeah, I just I just love it, and there's a lot of preparation and a lot of hassle in setting up the camp, and you know a few thoughts of why am I putting myself through this? You know those highs and lows, and and when you're sort of wrestling with trying to set up your tarp and your hammock, and you've forgotten your knots, and this is going wrong, and I've forgotten this, and then just other bits where you think, oh yeah, this is just exactly what I want to be doing so a bit like life all the ups and downs and and but but ultimately it's a really a really nice experience that's great that's great and um do you do you go out and do that much uh I'd like to do it more but we probably maybe do it I don't know two or three times a year so it's okay. uh, yeah it's something I'd, I'd like to do more of but yeah it's good fun I recommend it yeah yeah, it's funny because I was just talking to my wife. Um, both of us grew up camping um, in different ways, right? Like the, like the trailer, motorhomes, pulled behind the truck type deal, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is obviously much different than the hammock. But I miss I miss aspects. Uh, we don't do that now. Uh, we don't. Neither my wife or I have much of a desire to to go that big to get trucks and trailers and motorhomes and all that kind of stuff. But I miss, I miss being out in the wilderness. I miss the campfires. I miss looking up at the stars without all the city lights blocking them. Um, There's definitely aspects that, that I miss. Well, one thing that was quite funny, we decided to ditch the word wild out of wild camping because uh, when we were sat around the fire in in the apparent wilderness, uh, a friend of mine, his his phone rang and it, <laughs> it turned out to be a, a video call from his sister-in-law in Spain. <laughs> That's so, great. Uh, he spoke to her and... Uh, yeah, but it's great. It, it's almost like a sort of pretend wilderness camp in some ways, but yeah, yeah it's it, it's just it's just great to get away, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that you bring up uh, wild because you've you've said that on a couple other podcasts, wild camping or wild backpacking, and um, we don't refer to to that here. It's just camping or backpacking, mm-hmm. and so um, so I just I just took note note of that and always just made the assumption that it was the same thing that I would be talking about. It just kind of means not at a campsite. So no facilities basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, all good. 
Gotcha. Well, let's uh, let's take a quick moment just to touch base on. Uh, we just had Braxton um, on, who is um, a licensed clinical social worker here in Utah, in the United States, and he also is a uh, certified sex therapist. Um, the acronym of CST. Um, what are your what, what were your thoughts uh, of having him on? And and all, actually, before before I jump into that, let's just say um, it was. A long conversation. Um, we'll probably end up splitting it into two episodes. So this first one will be be part one. Um, but what, what were your thoughts on having Braxton on? I really enjoyed it, and I wasn't sure. <laughs> I wasn't sure it was going to be a conversation that I was going to enjoy. But he's so just so easy to talk to. Um, I mean, the first part of the episode, are just it's worth listening if you're a parent. Um, and you've got children that are sort of, I don't know, eight, nine, ten. You're wondering how to start those conversations. It's absolutely worth a listen to just for that. He, he was very good and made it, you know, even if you're unsure about how to ha- have those conversations, he gave some really good advice. But yeah, like I say, he was r- really easy to talk to. I said a few cringe things as usual. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly when we started talking about pizza, but I think that's going to be on the second episode. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, get something for people to look forward to. Mm. Uh, Braxton is easy to talk to, talk to. He's, um, as far as I've known him, he's always been that way. He's very um, engaging and inviting. And I think that that plays very well into him being a certified sex therapist. Uh, because like you said, the, that's an uncomfortable conversation for a lot of people. And uh, I think it does require somebody who's, open and engaging and, and, and calm and can kind of bring some humor, but also just uh, um, a sense of a sense of safety in the conversation along. And I think that he does that. Mm-hmm. I think also j- just the title uh, sex therapist. I mean, I asked him, obviously you'll have to listen to the episode, but I asked him what a sex therapist was and he kind of broke that down. And it's like anything, isn't it? When you, anything that you sort of, unsure about or ignorant about or perhaps a little bit scared of or I don't know once you talk about it suddenly it's it's just much easier so highly recommended especially if you're British and you've never spoken about sex before (laughs) yeah yeah it's um it's kind of funny. I don't think that a lot of people probably know what a sex therapist is. And he told a, a funny, sto- funny story about a couple of clients that, that came in thinking a sex therapist was something else. Um, yes. <laughs> and and to, 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 to my disappointment, um, we, we didn't jump in on that. We didn't have a good laugh about it or, or anything. We just kind of let the story keep going. And I would have loved to just spend a minute just having a good having a good laugh about what mm, what mm. that experience might have been like for him. The main problem for me was just trying to keep my mouth shut and not uh, make jokes, but that's the uh, that's the immature side of me. But he uh, mm. he did a great job, and yeah, it was really good fun talking to him. Yeah. So, all right. Well, um, anything else that you want to add f- before uh, before we jump into the interview? Oh yeah, there's one. There was a couple of things actually. So I was going to just give a shout out to a couple of people who are going to be coming on the podcast. So the first one was Ellie McDonald, and as you know, our main platform is Substack. So if you go on to Substack, she has a page called Capturing Calm. So if you go to Capturing Calm, 
www.substack.com. You'll be able to find Ellie there, and she does uh, mindful photography. She started a new podcast, so I wanted to give her a shout-out. Um, and then there was also Chris Winson. Uh, Winson is W-I-N-S-O-N, and he has a Substack page called Compassionate Nature, and it's, well, I don't know. Chris is going to come on and hopefully explain uh, what on earth he's, he's talking about. <laughs> Something about <laughs> nature and mental health. But it's really yeah. interesting stuff. And, and, and we met him the other day briefly. And I think he's going to be a really good guest. So I just wanted to mention those two. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for both of those two. And, and I love that they both have aspects of nature built in because that's something that you and I have talked about here and there is, is connecting with yourself through nature. Uh, so I think that was, those will be fun. While we're doing shout outs, um, we probably should at least let everybody know because I'm splitting this up into two episodes that um, Braxton um, has his own podcast as well. It's called Birds and Bees Podcast. Um, and if anybody likes what they listen to here or anything that he has to say and, and want to know more about um, being a sex therapist or how to um, engage in conversations with your kids about pornography and sex and healthy sexuality and all of those things, I would highly encourage you to go to uh, Braxton's podcast, Birds and Bees podcast, and um, and listen to that as well. Yeah, we'll put a link in the notes and there's a few other uh, things you mentioned so yeah if you have a look on substack i don't know what our substack domain is is it everydaytherapist.substack.com i think it is i don't I know you'll find us just put it into google you'll find us yeah yeah all right everybody thanks for listening and enjoy the first part of this interview with braxton <laughs> they make for some of the best podcasts in my opinion <laughs> That was yeah. the right thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, let me uh, let me introduce our, our guest for today. Um, this is a good friend of mine, uh, Braxton Dutson. Uh, Braxton and I went to college together. We did our bachelor's in social work together, and that's that's where we met. So that was about ten years ago, I think. Uh, yeah. Is about when we got that. Yeah, twenty fourteen. <laughs> And then Braxton went on to do a bunch of uh, amazing things and, and just really took this career and just uh, flourished with it while the rest of us in our class kind of floundered around figuring out what the hell we were going to do. <laughs> um, but, but welcome, Braxton. Thanks for, thanks for uh, coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm real excited to, uh, to be on. I, I do my own podcast, and so being on others' podcasts where I don't have to do a lot of the prep work, total fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, well, let me let me just jump in real quick. And um, can you will you mind just kind of giving us um, a little bit about yourself, your your path, and, and who you are, so that everybody kind of knows generally who who's with us and what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. So I'm Braxton Detson. I'm a certified sex therapist through the uh, American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. So for short, it's ASECT. Um, and what that essentially means is that post master's degree, I took another two years with another multiple hours of supervision and specific education around human sexuality. So I'm a certified sex therapist. <clears throat> I practice with couples, individuals, and teenagers uh, with mental health here in Utah and uh, the United States. And I'd say that uh, uh, one of my favorite things about the work that I do is I, I really 
I just became passionate over understanding and learning sexual behaviors and why why we act the way that we do and why sexual health has been such a taboo topic and uh, trying to break through that so that it becomes less and less scary, distressing, and really becomes much more of a, a natural part of of someone's mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health. I think we're seeing a lot more of that when it comes to therapy, such as podcasts like you two have put together where we're taking down the, uh, it's not so much taboo, but this um, negative space around being in the mental health or going to see a therapist. And a lot of people are much more proud about seeing a therapist than even when you and I started becoming therapists ourselves. I think that there's that, uh, that distress. So I'd say that uh, for me, uh, we first started the bachelor's program, you and I, at that point in time, I was working at Odyssey House, which was a teen substance use um, outpatient or um, intensive. Um, I can never remember the acronym. What is that when they live in the space? Inpatient? Inpatient. Inpatient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was inpatient. Um, then I went on to work in a, uh, in a drug court facility for in mental health for those that were in drug court. And then we graduated and I started working in home and doing in-home therapy with couples, families, kids from three years old, all the way up to, I had a couple that was 73. Um, and I was in their homes doing mental health work across the DSM. <clears throat> and then I moved into, um, more of outpatient at the healing group at the, at, uh, in Salt Lake city where I became more specialized in sexual health couples, out of control, sexual behavior. And, um, I do see some teenagers there. And then I started my own business off to the side where I do supervision and supervise therapists that want to become certified sex therapists. I supervise therapists that are trying to get their licensure. And then I also work at a high school, uh, where I do mental health. Um, I'm in, I, I'm contracted to do mental health work and support for a, a charter school here in, in Salt Lake. Can, so I jump in a, can I jump in straight away with a, a question, Braxton? Yes, so, Rich, so, well, so, something that I don't know whether you've listened to our podcast, but I'm training to be a, a therapist. So I'm at college at the moment. And, and interestingly, even though it's a, they call it an integrative course, so we're bringing in different modalities, I guess it's an overview of, of, of different things. But somebody asked, actually asked the question, couple of weeks ago is a a section on sex and sexuality and there isn't and and I was quite surprised so we don't I mean we are British obviously so we we don't talk about sex but we don't even talk about it in in our college therapy course so what do you think about that I think that's quite common and it's unfortunate but it's actually quite common I'd say here in uh, America it's just about the same um, there's medical providers that don't have um, like specialized sexual courses that they have to take um, in mental health. The sexual health course I took was completely like I had to take extra work and seek after the course in order to be able to to take it. it wasn't required. It was an elective. It was during the summer. So it was just on kind of tucked off in the corner. And in the years since then, we've tried to get it a part of the curriculum of something that's required. It's still not, but it is more available at the University of Utah. But it is not required across courses for mental health practitioners, which I think is problematic. We're cutting out some, a, a huge part of us as humans. Huge part. 
What do you think it is about you that made you comfortable with getting into that field? Because most people are running a mile. Yeah, I would say that if we're because because we're talking about mental health and I want to destigmatize one of the things that is I was growing up being in a um, a very predominantly religious um, very like required I'm trying to remember the the word of it um, as part of the LDS Church so I grew up LDS um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints which is a there's a lot of requirements when it comes to being a sexual per- or being a sexual person, a religious person, things like that. So in growing up that way, I experienced sexual abuse growing up. And then I went and got into therapy to work through that sexual abuse when I was in my teens. And in getting through that abuse and, and finding like the change that was happening for me and a couple of my siblings that also went through that, they, um, I, I got to see like, people working out and me working out of like these, these distressing feelings and thoughts that were coming up. Mm -hmm. And I was talking with my friends and all my friends continued to say like, Hey, you, you should be a therapist. You listen really well. And I was like, maybe I will. That'd be kind of cool. Cause I loved seeing, I wanted to be a part of that, that change in that process for other individuals. So going through that aspect where I had in therapy, I spoke about sexual health topics a lot, um, working through trauma and in regards to that, my mom was a lot better at talking about sexual health. My dad, not so much. Um, and it was much more like we still, we don't have sex before you're married, things like that. But as time went on, um, I wanted to, I got into the field of mental health in efforts to work with survivors of sexual abuse and domestic violence. So then I was like, well, I'll take a, a, a human sexuality course. That'll definitely help. But in that course, I was blown away. It was probably the only course that I was watching all the videos, reading all the the text, looking into all the extra curricular stuff to the side. I was so moved by it mm-hmm. that my teacher pulled me aside or my professor pulled me aside and said, you know, you can be a sex therapist if you want to. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. So it was just this ultimate drive of instead of working just in the trauma field of it, I could move from trauma and actually move into this helping support, uh, making it a normal part of conversation. So that that's kind of my path into where it made it easier to talk about. It still wasn't 100% easy, but yeah. I, I was able to work into that more con- more consistently. And just to get really back to basics, what is a sex therapist? <clears throat> oh, great question. So sex therapist, that is a really good question too, because some people think that I like practice sex in office like you come in and we get naked and i'll show you things like no we don't do that (laughs) i did did have a guy at one point in time he came into the office i've had a couple people actually that one person they'd come in and say like so do i like masturbate here and you can tell me i'm like oh no 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 we do (laughs) we don't do that (laughs) get in big trouble for it so a sex therapist in uh in a in a quick way is a therapist, a mental health therapist that is focused on sexual health issues, whether it relates to the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspect of a person. And you work for the total overall sexual health of an individual, focusing pleasure, processing trauma, and working through mental, emotional, physical blocks that show up in sexual health. 
Okay. So, and most people that you work with, would they have suffered sexual abuse or sexual trauma, or are they looking to improve their sex life? Or what? What's the customer? The customer base? That's not the right. Yeah, I'd say my, my the clients that come see me in particular, I've put myself into a niche that's um, that's been interesting. So, yes, someone seeking sex therapy may have experienced um, sexual trauma. Um, you can also speak a tra- or seek a trauma specialist, but there's there's benefits to going to a trauma specialist or a sex therapist that also works with trauma. And when you're working in sex, you're typically working with trauma, and I can explain a little bit more about that later too. But those that experience trauma, absolutely, I would say that I work with individuals who do experience trauma. The majority of the people that do come to see me, I'd say, are uh, male-bodied individuals who identify feeling out of control with their sexual behavior, meaning they'll come in using words like, uh, I'm addicted to sex, I'm addicted to pornography, I'm addicted to masturbation, I can't stop going and doing the sexual behavior. I work with a lot of a lot of men that experience that, some women. Um, I work a lot with couples that have desire differences. So one partner has a higher sex drive, the other one has a lower sex drive, there's distress because the other partner wants the other one to either come down or move up so that they can mm-hmm. uh, they can feel a little bit more in line with each other. Um, I work with teens that feel out of control. Um, and then I also work with a lot of men that experience um, erectile issues, um, delayed ejaculation from time to time, premature ejaculation. Um, uh, but I do I do see a lot of men that experience performance anxiety where they lose their erections, have a hard time with sexual experiences. Um, and then I work with a lot of women that would like to increase their libido or that, uh, are experiencing distress around who they are as a sexual person. So it kind of, the gamut goes out from that, but I would say that specialized, yeah. that's typically who come to see me, but other therapists will special, other sex therapists will specialize in many other aspects of sexuality from kink and BDSM to, I mean, I guess currently I have couples that are into poly or that, that are polyamorous, are swingers. And so it branches out all over the place, mm-hmm. but I'd say people start with me there. Braxton, I want to, I want to hear more about each one of those in detail um, as we talk. But before we do, I, I just want to touch base on this whole destigmatizing these types of conversations. Um, what, what is, what is, what is it like for you or what is your thoughts on a just, having these discussions in the culture that, um, that you and I are in here in Utah, like you said, growing up in a religious culture. Um, and, and, and I don't know, Rich, um, with my thought with, with England and how they are getting better at going into mental health as well, but it's still kind of growing and it it still has a long way to go. I imagine it's, it's fairly similar. Some of these conversations are scary and people avoid them and Mm -hmm. just it's something that you don't generally talk about and i imagine it's very similar to the culture that braxton and i are in in that way um so what what is your thoughts on on having these types of conversations in culture and the second piece is how much work do you have to do with your clients in session to be able to have these open conversations oh great question i I appreciate that to that question uh, cody the I'd say that the support of destigmatizing the conversation happens to be in starting off with small steps. 
I think oftentimes, uh, and tell me if this is how it is over where you're at, Rich, but uh, the conversation gets whittled down to maybe one or two conversations. Like, okay, you need to, child has reached the age of eight, child has reached the age of 12 or maybe 16. And those ones here in Utah, especially in America, I'd say they there's these, for whatever reason, eight-year-old, 12 because puberty hits, 16 because they're driving and a little more independent and then sex starts to be or adults think that that's when sex is starting and they're kind of missing the boat there (laughs) but in between those they start having one or two of those conversations hey you're going to start to menstruate hey you're going to have wet dreams you're going to want to be closer to the um, opposite sex you may be attracted to members of the same sex you may have these different feelings and experiences they're normal and then the conversation's over and they don't hear much more about it does that tend to happen where you're i think you're spot on i think um that uh, well i think perhaps parents force themselves to have those conversations out of anxiety so i think Mm -hmm. they they may try to do that but i i think you've almost said this it's almost boxed in it's like right, I'm going to do the conversation. Um, I'm going to spend about one minute on it and then I'm going to go and have a drink. And then we're not going to talk <laughs> about this for another three or four years. <laughs> I reckon yeah. that's how it goes here. But obviously, yeah. I'm generalizing hugely, um, but I'm not. I suspect in most households, it's not a day-to-day conversation. Yeah, I would say that that's, that's the same in a lot of places that I've, I've heard around the world, but in particular here in America as well. Um, and it depends on the person. There's a lot of parents that are much better at it. Some are overly. I would say that uh, I've, I've encouraged some parents to back off with sexual images, sexual videos, where they'll say, well, you're going to want to see this. And so if they're going to see porn, they probably ought to see pornography with me. And I, I don't encourage moving into that realm of, say, downloading something free internet porn and showing a child like this is what it is because it needs to be age appropriate and it's still not even i mean we call it adult entertainment i I don't encourage teens to be viewing the videos or images of that they do get a hold of it but for a parent to say here here you go let me show you how this is would be like having them watch the fast and furious videos and be like this is how we drive here in america or in europe or anywhere we don't we don't uh, teach driver or teach how to drive by watching um, entertainment media and movies uh, because it's not realistic. You can do the things you see in the videos if you have the right cars and training and other things like that, but it's just, it doesn't go straight across to someone that's going to buy a Toyota (laughs) with their first car. But uh, going back to the question Cody um, talked about was, in trying to improve, I would say the, the majority of building this piece up is starting young, starting early and talking often. So if you can start um, when your baby is an infant, um, they're obviously not going to understand what you're saying, but you understand what you're saying. If you can start labeling their body parts, even when you're like, oh, I've got your ear. Oh, and then you're changing them. I'm going to wipe your penis now. I'm going to wipe your vulva. I'm Those words help you so that that word is no longer this like <gasps> you're saying it in the presence of your child. And then as they get older and you keep using those languages, they use the language, you use the language. It makes it less of a big intense deal to be mm-hmm. able to approach when you start saying, well, your, your body does more than 
urinate from your genitals. Um, your body is going to do a lot of really cool things. And let's talk about that. Even if you don't know exactly what you're going to say, um, you can, there's a lot more podcasts. Uh, there's the podcast that I do, Birds and Bees podcast that helps walk through parents with, or parents walk through some of the topics that um, are distressing or maybe they aren't 100% sure how to approach that. And we come up with methods and ways to be able to ease into those conversations. Um, there's Kath Hackinson in Australia. She has uh, her whole job is helping people to have these conversations in these younger years up into the teens and even in teens. And there's workbooks and there's all sorts of um, resources to be able to support you to be one chapter ahead of your child. So you don't feel like you have to know everything. And I always encourage parents to say, if you don't know, and your kid asks a question, just be like, that's a really great question. Let me get back to you on that tomorrow or next week. And the only thing you have to do after that is research it, follow it up and talk to them within your value system and what you'd like to do. I think parents often far too often feel that they need to know everything to speak about it. And it's embarrassing and they haven't talked about it. So those two combo do exactly what you just talked about, Rich. We're going to talk about it for a minute and I'm going to go get a drink because it was way too stressful. Yeah. I, I, and I think as well that, well, there's two problems. So, so again, from a, from a British perspective, one is that we like um, laughing about words and we have humor and everything becomes a euphemism and as you've been talking a few things have jumped out at me that I've tried not to laugh at so that's that's just the way and I think that that's you know that's one of those which is over there over there twitching trying to not make jokes and hold himself back <laughs> um, but then there's another problem which is adults I suspect the majority of adults don't know how they feel about sex, um, morality, which is a key part of it. Perhaps they have maybe from a religious background, although it seems less and less people I know seem to have any uh, religious background. I know where you you are. Are you in Utah, Braxton, as well? Yep, I know yep, it's, in okay, so the re religion is a big thing there. So we've got adults who don't know how they feel about things, talking to children who don't know how they feel about things, using humor and then perhaps as a bit of a defense mechanism and then continuing that and then it all just becomes a big joke, perhaps. Yes. Or it goes in the opposite direction too. So it becomes a big joke and it's in it. We're not really learning education, but the kids start to learn like, uh, I don't get to ask about this because I could get made fun of or it's this joke thing. And then we go to the other side where values are driven so heavy that the conversation isn't, hey, let's explore this. It is, you won't have sex before you're married. You won't touch yourself. You won't do this because that's a sin or because that's not what we believe in. And if you do that, you're in big trouble, not only with us, but with God. And God knows everything. And so then you've got this internal on this mental side of things that the majority, I mean, over 90% of kids before the age of 18 will experience a masturbatory or solo sex experience. Now, if they internally are like, well, God just watched that or this higher being just watched this, what does that mean about me? That may, And it starts to shift into the shame side of, well, I'm going to keep this secret because I don't want my parents to know. So you've got a spectrum where we want to try and leave and work towards the middle of that spectrum where it can be lighthearted 
because they're going to grow up in, 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 in a world where it is lighthearted. Sex is frequently used for jokes and that's not necessarily bad. And you also want to support a parent within their value system to say, hey, we do encourage we find that it's helpful for people to not have many sexual partners. And if you can promise yourself to a person, you're going to avoid a lot of heartache in these other areas. That is a value system where we, we value this within our religion. That's a value system. Know that you're also going to have these desires. So a both and approach can be really helpful so that your kids come back and start asking more questions versus moving to quiet and shame. And that doesn't mean you have to just say, well, do whatever you want, because that's what we were seeing in research. It's this is what you're going to see. And these are our values. So you can try and create an education within a value system, whatever that may be. So people, so I'm hearing there that, that a lot of the religious community perhaps are struggling with some of this stuff. People who aren't from a religious background, would they have similar problems i mean sort of with guilt and, and morality and if so where do you it, think that comes from it usually comes from a, even if we take religion out of it so let's say you, you grew up non-religious you still have your society around you which societal um, gender norms things like that where it can create shame say you um, are a you find that you've got some sort of uh, fantasy that doesn't seem to fall under a masculine or a feminine, or it's more on one side or another that starts to build shame just based off of what you would see within a societal norm of okay. what's supposed to turn you on or how often you're supposed to want sex. Or if you're talking about a parent that's trying to talk to their kid about sexual health, even if they're not bringing in a deity or a religious aspect of it, there's a good chance they still have their own thoughts and feelings about what makes someone promiscuous, what makes someone um, worthy of, of their daughter or their son's um, love and affection. Oftentimes, they're really concerned about their child getting hurt. And we know through relationships, you can get hurt. And they don't want to experience sexual abuse or these other things that are big pains that have that we could say have minimal to do with religious constructs, but also have a lot to do with societal and depending on where you're at, religion could play a big role in the society, it could play very little in the society, but we still have norms of being human that we often, I often work with clients to try and fight those because people want to feel accepted and that they're normal, which is hard because it's hard to place what normal is and, uh, and being able to challenge that to get into where you're at, what you feel good with and what your, what your parents or what you've been taught, being able to challenge that, see it, take what you want. That's where a lot of the art in the mental health comes in. Yeah. Some, something that's been interesting to me, uh, and I'll let Cody jump in in a minute, but the amongst teenagers in this country, the, my experience anyway, there seems to be a problem. How can I phrase it? People feel under pressure to explore perhaps so they might feel that they're straight but that's not the way it is anymore you have to you know um consider this consider that and i don't know i think things have got extremely confusing for teenagers so i think it's got even more difficult anyway than when i was a kid it was like there was you know a few gay people in the school uh, mm -hmm. It's probably really difficult for them because they couldn't perhaps talk about it openly, but that was it. Mm -hmm. It was the majority of people. It was just assumed were straight. 
And now I know in the school playground, everybody's talking about, you know, that they're straight this week, they're, they're by the next week. And, and it's just really complicated for them. Yes. I'd say that the, in that, that's a great example of what we're talking about with societal pressures mm-hmm. is that within trying to be accepting, which in my opinion can be very great. We, I want to be accepting of, of all individuals with the acceptance society has now pushed a pressure into, well, you can't really know. So there's a should that's in there. If you're like, Oh, I feel, I don't know. I don't really have attraction to other men or I don't have attraction to this, or I kind of start feeling that there's this curiosity that gets placed in there, but then you have friends that are doing and saying like, Oh, I'm this. And you start to have maybe a little bit more fluidity, much more openness to be able to have that fluidity because society's created the space for it, which can be really helpful mentally for those that experience um, gender dysphoria or um, are part of the LGBT um, community. That's great to be able to have that space it's then the spot that if someone is like, I don't really identify with that, or I do identify that. And then there's a space of you need to, if you're in the LGBT community, I've heard of teens being like, well, you can't just be gay. Like, are you sure you're not bi? Are you sure you're not this? Or what about that? And we start putting on these adult concepts into these teenagers' lives that they need to then know at that point in time versus allow themselves to experience what they find is sexually appealing to them or how they feel themselves and they get to process that. The hard part is they're processing it together as teens, which essentially allows for kids that don't know who have probably learned a lot of their education from a couple of conversations and sexual videos online. And they are trying to lead each other and how and who they should be. And so there's a lot of shoulds that get placed into it, which makes it even more confusing. So then they're like, Oh, if I feel this way, then I have to, Versus, oh, I could feel this way and maybe I'm not going to feel that way. And maybe I process this a little bit internally or go see a therapist or go talk to some trusted adults that can hold this space for me. But I think what we end up seeing is that the teens are going, I'm over here. Wait, no, that's not right. I'm over here. And then we have adults going, stupid teenagers. They don't know what they're doing. We're just everyone's screwing each other up now because it's so much more out there versus this internal thing that then becomes this big outing. I want to get back to maybe pornography and masturbation um, that you had brought up a moment ago, but but that raises a question for me with what you were just talking talking about with sexual identity and, and fluidity and, and orientation and all of those things. Um, wh- what do you feel like is a healthy way for parents to? have those types of, con- not the pornography ones, but the, the orientation and the sexual identity. And what is a healthy way for parents to have those conversations with their kids, whether the, whether the child feels like they, they, they know what they're attracted to, right? Cause sometimes um, they do already and, and they might not be questioning and other times they might be questioning. And how can, how can a parent take a healthy approach with wherever their child may be at mm-hmm. that time? That's a great question, Cody. What I encourage parents to do is optimally, if you've been having these conversations where they're easier and much more like you can have them in passing, that's going to be optimal. But a lot of parents are not going to have that. They're going to say, my teen is 14 and we've really only had a couple of conversations. Am I, am I in trouble now? I'm like, no, you're not. But we are going to have some work to do to get this train rolling. 
But if you're talking to your teen and you're and you want to have a conversation about sexual orientation, maybe you're concerned about it or you're not sure or you just want to have your teen know this. This is a topic that would be important to talk about. Being able to bring up the different orientations that they might see, they might experience, they might know. You don't need to push that onto them. You're giving information to the teenager so that they're able to figure out exactly what well, not exactly, but they can understand the different realms of what they're working in. So if I was a, if I was telling an adult how to have the conversation, some of the things I'd say is talking to your teen might look like, hey, you're going to going through high school and junior high, you're going to find that there's a lot of individuals that are identifying differently with who they're attracted to, um, how they want to express themselves. And a lot of people do that in different ways. We have ways that we're dressing from really dark clothes to clothes that are um, in the way that we or that are more in the popular side. You have people that are more, you know, maybe cowboy or this or that you can start bringing out. There's differences. People express themselves differently. Then bringing that into a space of romantic. So being able to say some people identify with really being on this space of I am only attracted to members of the opposite sex. Others are going to say, I'm kind of attracted to both and I'm more attracted to one or the other, but I'm here or there. That doesn't necessarily mean that they are bi. Some people identify with that. Some people are going to identify more on this end, more on that end. Others are going to say that they're gay or part of the LGBTQ community. Some people are going to dress differently, more feminine, more masculine. Some are going to try and dress more in the middle where we're more androgynous. You're going to see all of these things because Kids your age are trying to figure out who they are and who they're going to be as adults. And you're going to experience this too. So if you have questions, I'd love for you to be able to talk with me about where you're at, what things you're you're thinking of, uh, attraction, what thoughts are going on with you. And I want you to be able to talk with me about it because it can be a hard system to navigate when you're seeing so many different expressions. But know that you can be yourself, however that looks. I love you with who you are. And I want to be here to support you in what that looks like. I may need to do a little bit of education on my own if you come up with something and you talk to me about it, but I, I want to be here to support you because I love you. Something along those lines opens a door that they can then see like, oh, there's a lot that's out here. I don't have to line up with any of those because I can be myself. And when I'm confused, I can go back and talk to my parents. Being able to open that door is going to help you the most instead of saying like, hey, we think you're straight or, you know, you've been playing with these types of toys and dressing like this. So we think that you're gay. Like If you start trying to pigeonhole and get ahead of them, that starts to put that pressure on them to find out versus identifying like you can be heterosexual and like awesome. You can be on the homosexual side of things. You could be LGBT. You could be. All these different things, you're going to see them. You're going to want to express yourself. We want to be here to support you when you have questions about that. You can also yeah. insert some of those um, values that you may have. But the more that you can keep it open-ended and say, come back to me, that is where then the teenager can come up and say, I'm confused. I am really attracted to this person. I do this and I want to dress like that, but I don't know who I am. Now they're having an adult conversation with you. Versus going, I can't talk to my parents. I'll go talk to somebody else or I'll Google it. And this is a loaded question. So feel free to, to push it. it back on me, I guess. <laughs> What's your advice for parents who are not in a place where they can have that type of a conversation with their kids? Not because the 
not because the the topic of sexuality is maybe uncomfortable, but maybe because of the cultural beliefs and the religious beliefs don't allow them mm. to become outside of the box for that conversation. That that would be an interesting double bind to be in. Like you bring up a, one that I think parents find themselves in. Yeah, they're on a couple of things. One where the parent is like, "No, Braxton, what you're talking about is bullcrap." So what you've got is you are either saying that you're on this this side where there's all these different things. No, there are straight people and that is how the Lord wants it to be. And that is how things are supposed to be. Oftentimes I would say the individuals experiencing that are less in a bind. They're saying this is how it's supposed to be. And their conversations are probably going to look more like you're a straight person. Guys are supposed to be with girls. Girls supposed to be with guys. This is how things are supposed to be. The hard part about that, what I would say is like, if that is your value system and that is what you want to push, know that you're putting pressure on your child to be in the box of heteronormativity. And if that's where you're like, Braxton, this is what I believe. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to challenge or say that you are a bad person, a wrong person. What I'm going to say is that will put your child into a space where they will feel less likely to maybe talk to you if they start to experience things outside of that because it doesn't bring safety into the conversation for them to explore. And that doesn't also mean that if you have this conversation about all the different things that are going to go on, your kids aren't stupid. They're going to know that there's all this different expression happening. And if you allow for, if you talk with them about that, they're going to come back to you, which ultimately allows for you to be able to bolster some of your belief systems while you also can connect with them. But if you're saying we don't accept anybody else outside of straight and, and, uh, and being with, with the opposite sex, it puts pressure. They're more likely to experience that shame to pull into that dark space of being by themselves. If they are feeling like they are not normal, not wanted, because again, all of us want to feel that way. So you're kind of gambling there. If your child is, well, it's not going to make a hill of beans difference with, with that scenario, but neither will the other conversation because if they're heterosexual, you're not being like, okay, we need you to experience what it's like to be this. So you're this this week. We brought you these clothes. You're not pushing any agenda within that. But if someone is saying, hey, I want to have both conversations, I still feel that I value this and I want to keep them open, but my religion says that I can't. <clears throat> what I often do is I try and put in two, I try and do a by. Uh, I, I can't remember what we say, by locating. So be a parent within your belief system and then be a parent in what they're going to see at school. So oftentimes hmm. I would say that to the parent, hey, <clears throat> I know you're going to see all this at school. So I'm going to talk to you about what you're going to see at school. And then I want to talk to you about what and how we believe in the family and the things we'd like to talk about. But I ultimately want to know that I want you to know that I love you and that we are trying to connect. What you're going to see is at school, you're going to have people that are identifying as this and that and this and that. And there's going to be a whole spectrum. And you may be confused and wonder, where do you fit in all this? Know that you fit at home. We love you. We do believe that man should be with woman, woman should be with man or something along those lines. This is what God's plan is. If you start to feel curious about that or you're unsure or if this feels different to you, I want you to talk with us so we can get you some support. That is one of those places where you can still hold your own, identify your values. You don't have to say that this is all okay, but they will experience it. And if your child comes back to you and you're like, I really want to push this other thing, I do encourage you to say, let's get you to a therapist that can help you work through this. And you get into a therapist to help you work through how you can hold space for loving your child. 
Because again, it's not pushing this agenda to say like, oh, let's make someone this way. But if someone comes out and says that I am experiencing this and you move to let's force it out of you, oftentimes that results in anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts. Um, But uh, it can be really helpful for you to process your own thoughts, feelings, where you stand, do some family therapy so that you can connect with your child the way that you want to connect with them. That would be one of the ways. um, Sorry to interrupt you there, Braxton. Something that really jumps out at me that obviously we're talking about um, children's sexual identity or or teenagers and what you've said about as a family unit, making it clear that you love your child and and they can come back to you as a place of safety. Just from other podcasts that we've done, this is so important, not just for sexuality, but for things like, uh, well, drugs would be another one. Um, or, or anything you could you could pick anything and and somewhat the way I look at it is it's not that it's not relevant what I think but they are humans in their own right they're going to go out and experience the world and here we go here's me doing pat on the back parenting again I do this every week sorry but, <laughs> but I've always tried to encourage an open conversation around drug taking for instance so when my son came home once and said, um, I'd never take cocaine, he said to me, and I, and I said, why not? And he was like a bit stuck for a minute. And then you saw, <laughs> saw the cogs moving and we had a conversation about whether it was a good idea to take cocaine. So I, I'm trying to not force my agenda. Obviously, I wouldn't be that keen on them doing that, but um, at the end of the day, um, they're out there in the world and they have to uh, gain some tools so that they can have courage and, and make the decisions they want to make. And so I see some similarities between what you're talking about and, and many other things that they're going to experience. Absolutely. I think the one thing that parents really want to do is they want their kids safe. They want their kids to be hurt and they have a trajectory of how they wanted their family or their kids to go. The question you asked, you're like, why not? The beautiful part about that, Rich, is that when you were in a spot that you could have been like, awesome, never do that. There was assumptions between you and your and your child that you weren't aware of and he's not aware of. When you said, why not? That wasn't you saying like, you weren't peer pressuring him into taking coke. No, absolutely not. Just just for the record, (laughs) I was not trying to encourage drug use. (laughs) No, no. What you did is you took it from one level of assumption into a deeper level of understanding and you challenged him appropriately in a way to go, well, why not? Why wouldn't you take cocaine? And that forces him to go, well, because I kind of thought you'd just say, no, I shouldn't, because that's obviously you're supposed to be your answer. But what am I, why, why wouldn't I? Well, my teacher said this, well, my parents said that, well, I saw this person on the street and it looked like he was on coke and you, they get to bring in their experience. And all of a sudden you're developing an adult processing for your child. Instead of you thinking for them, you're helping them move from teenage years early adulthood into adulthood where they're going to be making those decisions without you anyways. The whole goal is for them to be adults and a question like that, not to challenge and say you're supposed to, but a challenge of like, I'm very interested as to why you gave me that statement, why you would never do that. That's tell me about it. Now your question 
turns into curiosity, that curiosity turns into insight. And that insight allows for future decisions to draw back on their personal insight versus, oh, friends giving me cocaine. I said I'd never do that, but I'm interested in trying versus I said I wouldn't do that because of this, 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 because they're making their own decision. So that definitely comes across with sexual behavior, drug use, deciding where to go to college, friends that you might have, staying in relationships that are unhealthy. There's there's a lot of reasons why people or why our teens, we can question those things and that really helps. All right. I, 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 um, I teased a moment ago that I wanted to to have this conversation about pornography and masturbation with kids. And before we get too far off of parenting and whatnot, I, I want to make sure I get back to that. Sure. I think that that is, um, gosh, I think that's one of the most relevant yet most difficult conversations that we probably have with our kids as parents. And I don't, you probably know this way better than I do. I don't know how many parents are actually having that conversation with kids. And so let me just leave it open and broad. Um, in your, in your expertise, when should that conversation begin to happen and how should that conversation begin to happen? <clears throat> per, per some research, it, the research varies in age, but it suffice it to say that the research of first exposure to sexual videos online, so, so something like you'd see maybe on Pornhub or X video or any of those mainstream free videos <clears throat> that involve some pretty intense sexual depictions, that's anywhere in between the age of eight and 10. So having that conversation before the age of eight is one I would encourage. But so let me, let me, just, let me just jump in. Let me just jump in because I, I think that that's going to be shocking to a lot of people, right? The, just that number, age eight is the age when kids are going to start getting exposed to yes. these types of videos. I, I just want to jump in so that we can point that out. Mm -hmm. Videos. And I believe in the, in the research or the different researches, I, I think they were also identifying still images as well. So, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that your eight-year-old is going to be on Pornhub searching out different things, but that they are going to be exposed to their first sexual explicit image and or video. So that could be what I often will see is uh, like eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds in a group and one person's got their phone and they type in girl boobs or they misspell tits or something like that. And they're, they're researching these things or there's an accidental exposure um, oftentimes I've, I've seen that either in curiosity or accident accidents, they type something in wrong or they're, they go down a rabbit hole and they see something that is a lot of where we're seeing some of those eight to 10 year olds experiencing that. Or you have a one friend that comes into the group of friends and goes, look, that's a lot of what you're typically seeing at that point in time. But either way, that is their first exposure to an adult image, an adult video and having a conversation with them prior to that is going to be very helpful. So starting at age, the age of six, seven, <clears throat> or when, when uh, electronics start to become much more available, or if you don't have parental controls for, to try and stop the accidental um, engagements, those things I do encourage, but I don't encourage people to lean on them as a crutch to keep teens and younger teens from accessing it because parental controls are great, but they're great for accidental and curious minds, not those that are trying to cope because those that really want to experience it or see it, there's ways around it. I constantly see 
ways that uh, that teens and young adults work through parental controls and new apps come out so often it's impossible to stay on top of it. Okay. So having that conversation at six, seven, eight is, is important to start that early. I just, I think that there's a lot of people that are going to be surprised by that number. Yeah. Right. It just, I think that we as parents want to maybe stay in denial longer <laughs> yeah. and hope that we can yeah. have it at 15, 16. I think, it's, 16. Uh, I, I think it's a really depressing statistic because you imagine, you know, what my kids were like around the age of eight or nine. And, you know, it's a time of total innocence and to start having that conversation. So, so my anxiety would be, you know, I'm about to ruin your day by having this horrible conversation mm. so so i'll be interested i mean my kids are past this now anyway but i'd be interested so somebody listening to this who is sat there shocked thinking god i actually need to talk to my eight or nine year old about this mm-hmm. where, where do they start great question age appropriate is really important here so if you're starting at the age of six we're not going to be like hey there's people that are going to be using there and start getting into really nitty ditty nitty gritty details about what they're going to see but i often start talking with consent around the body hey we don't you know unless unless someone's a doctor or it's mom and dad you know the only people that can touch your private parts or for wiping are you your parents and maybe a doctor if there's if there's some pain or issues going on there and you've asked them to do this so we're teaching consent we're teaching that people don't touch so that helps with the sexual abuse then the other part is and we don't let people see our private areas from our genitals to our breasts this is something that we keep private between us so don't let people see in the swimsuit area now sometimes online you might run across pictures or videos of people that are completely naked and that they're showing those body parts. <clears throat> and if you do see anyone that's that's come across naked or you have a friend that does that, you're not going to be in trouble. I want you to come talk to me about it. So that would be a younger version, very quick, very able to that this child can go. If I see someone that is unclothed, whether it's in a video or it's in a still image, I'm going to go talk to my mom or dad about it. I know I'm not going to be in trouble because their first reaction might be like, <gasps> I don't yeah. know. I shouldn't. I'm yeah. interested, but I also don't know what's happened. They're trying to process. You want to give them the ability to say, "I'm going to go talk to my parents." I like that. So, you, so you're giving them the ability to come and talk to you, and, and I think everybody could, everybody listening could take that step. That's not too sweat inducing. So, mm-hmm. what's the uh, so what's the next stage? <laughs> well, let's say we're 12, 13 years old. Is that a different conversation? Yes. So we start moving into different conversations there. Maybe you're already in the nine, ten year old. And you're like, shoot, they probably already saw this being able to add to that, like maybe you've already seen videos of this. Have you experienced, have you seen a video or a picture of some, and then they might get sheepish and kind of like, Oh, maybe, or maybe like, no, that's gross. I'd never look at that. And you're like, okay, well when you see that, cause it's not an if it's a when <clears throat> come talk to me about it. I want to, I want you to be able to have someone that you can talk to about this. Great. So now you move into the 10, 11, you get this tweens, and puberty starts to happen. And now there's this curiosity that'll start to spark. So it's not just this accidental thing. Now there's the curious. You get girls and boys and they want to know what penises look like and adult uh, vulvas and breasts. And so they, they start asking these questions or typing in Google searches. Having a conversation with them of, hey, you're getting older. You're going to work through puberty. 
you maybe have already started into puberty, you're going to start finding yourself feeling attracted to other people and wondering what their body parts look like. We talked about, or even if you haven't talked about <laughs> swimsuit areas and things like that from when they're younger, you draw on what you've talked about, but identifying, hey, what you may see online is called pornography. Now, pornography is anything depicting someone in a naked space or doing things in a semi-nude depiction, whether it's in a, a video or a, a, a picture. And the whole goal for it is to essentially entertain adult individuals for sexual gratification. So you can identify that as like, this is what this is for. And because it's adult entertainment, it's meant for adults. It's not really meant for you. And I want you to be, sometimes you may run across some pictures or videos, or you may have friends that show you some things that you're going to feel maybe confused about certain behaviors and acts or why people would want to, or engage in certain things sexually. I want you to come talk to me about that. You may even want to start searching that out. I want to support you because it can feel so good that sometimes people start to feel like they keep moving to it. And we want you to be able to feel like you're in control with your behaviors. So mm -hmm. tell me about this. Or we've set up things on the computer to where you can't run across that and that you can't search it up. And that's why we have those. Or we've put this on your phone or we've gotten this phone that's more for kids because we don't want you to be, we don't want you to access those. The thing that I tell parents though is don't rely on those because your friend's or their friends may not have those same filters. Um, you can try and control their behaviors on phones as much as possible, but you just can't. You want them to see that this is not real sex, that this is physical sex, but it's not necessarily what is the should or how things work in a loving, connective relationship. This mm -hmm. is set up. So as they get even older, maybe in their 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 and on, identifying these are people that are either sex traded in there, which is another conversation in itself of that. This is not okay. And non-consensual. If it is consensual, it's people being paid for sexual acts. That's heavily edited. That is set up the way they want to with people that have said, I'm willing to do this with lubrication, with conversation that is not put on the screen. And so it is only showing the parts that they think are going to sexually excite adults. And so it can feel really exciting because there's a lot of stimulation and it's really exciting there, but you do not need to be with extraordinary body parts like the length of those penises, the size of the breasts, the intensity of what the orgasms look like, all of those things, they may get more, you can get more explicit within that, but letting them know this is meant for entertainment and they are making videos and images based on what the people that consume it continue to consume because then there's more money involved into it. So they will make the videos like that. That is not them depicting. These are hidden cameras in people's rooms where they're having their own sexual experiences that you may have with a girlfriend or a husband or a wife or a partner. So go on, Cody, you, you go. There's so many questions here, but I need to shut up and let Cody answer, ask a question. No, no, no. I mean, no there, there is. And I think this is, this is really all awesome. I, my, my next thought is, okay, we, we've been moving up the, the age range here throughout these conversations. Mm -hmm. So in this process, um, what is your advice for parents monitoring kids' phones and electronics. Mm -hmm. And if they come across 
pornographic videos or images or searches or whatever, what is the healthiest way to have that conversation? Great question. I encourage bringing it up and being straightforward, addressing your intense emotion that may come up. This may be a surprise. You may feel anger. You may feel frustration. You may feel like you failed as a parent. There's a lot of feelings that parents have come to me with of like, this shouldn't have happened. Take a breath, work through that. <clears throat> you see that, you think of your child and you're like, oh my gosh, oh, not little Johnny. He's so pure because <laughs> they may, you may have your feelings towards your kids. But when you experience it, I've, I came up with the three C's of why kids look at pornography. And I want you to think of this. The first one is clicking. They're, they're going through, they've clicked on things, an ad came up, they were looking through, they, they're clicking through something and they come across it. That is an option. They may have accidentally clicked on it. That's often towards the younger ages. But know that if you've got this six-year-old that you see it show up on the phone, that that is also an option, that they weren't searching or anything else. They just came across it. And that, that could be one aspect. The second one is curiosity. This one's more in those middle ranges where you're like, what, did, what are these body parts? What is sex? What is oral sex? What are boobs? Things along those lines where they're being curious and they're looking for information. So again, not in this side of they're bad or anything, but you being curious to see if they are being curious, like what were they doing on these sites? Very helpful for you to have open-ended questions. The third one is coping, which I often see in those tweens to up into teens. Is there a divorce happening in the relationship? Are there, is there bullying at school? Are they having a hard time with tests? Are they just experiencing difficulties in life? Are there stressors in the community? What's happening in their life as a teen? It's hard to be a teen. And masturbation can feel really great. Sexual videos are very distracting and they also bring a lot of feel goods and they're, it's very stimulating. So of course it's one method of trying to cope. So if you can keep those in mind as a parent, that your teen is not on this trajectory of they're this sexual deviant that's going to do these horrible things and you can come back into they're experiencing one of these things. I can bring it up and go, hey, I've saw these videos on your phone. Can you tell me about them? They will probably be reactive either in getting defensive and angry or they'll retreat and feel a lot of shame. Your goal is to sit with them in this middle ground of like, hey, no, you – I want to better understand and I want you to understand this can be more education, but get curious. What was going on for you when you were searching those things out? Is this something you feel like you want some help on? How often do you feel like you explore this? And when do you usually find yourself viewing it? Is, is this, how are things going at school? Like, are you feeling stressed? What's happening? You can get curious into what is going on for them to then you can get them into a therapist, not necessarily a therapist to say, oh, He's addicted to pornography. He's addicted to sex. No, with the three coping, clicking, and curiosities, they have other issues that they can get support. They either need education, need some parental controls, or they need methods to be able to help them get better coping skills and to manage how they want to um, address these things in life as adults. So being able to help yourself stand in that ground and you may have a teen that is just like they just consume because it's one of their ways of coping. Getting them into a therapist can be really helpful, not necessarily trying to beat it out of them or convert it out of them, if you will. It's trying to, to support them in finding these other ways to go about that and know that once they hit adulthood and they buy their own phones and stuff, we want to teach them to be able to manage themselves 
versus try and jump into all the parental controls where you shut off their phones and their electronics because ultimately one day they will step into adulthood. And if we don't give them the skills to try and manage that, it usually jumps right back in when they're buying their own phones, you know, have control. Yeah, I, I think that the big takeaway for me that I'm hearing is if we, you know, even if we didn't remember anything else is it's keeping that open conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And I know for myself, um, I've always been comfortable with the, the, the conversation around drugs and not so much with pornography, but actually having this conversation here today makes me realize that it is pretty much the same deal, which is saying, this is going to happen. You're going to come across this. You might be curious about that. You might even experiment with this. And whatever you do, whatever your thoughts are, even if you regret doing something, seeing something, and you're worried, come back and talk to me and we'll, we'll figure it out. Yes, I love that. Kristen Hodson here in Utah, she was actually my my professor. I told her about the three C's I came up with. And she's like, well, here's the three C's of what parents can do. Stay calm, stay curious, and stay connected. If you can do those three things within there, you're going to elicit more information so you can help your kids versus jumping in feeling like you have to manage it. Yeah. That, that's beautiful. And I, and I, I want to use this to transition to adults. But before I do, um, I, I, Rich, do you have any other questions that you want to talk about with parenting or on this? Well, topic? I was actually just going to say the same thing. I, I was, uh, you know, I, there's so much to unpack there that I mean, that's been really useful for me, but I was going to suggest perhaps we talk about adult stuff. <laughs> okay. And, and then before again, before I do, um, Braxton, we're, we're about an hour in. And so are you okay to keep going or would you rather us do a second time later? I'm, I'm good to keep going, but I'm also, I also realized just how I, I, this is what I experienced too. I was like, Oh, I'll get into sexual health and then I'll do the thing. And the farther I've gotten into sexual health, the more I've realized just how vast and big it is. Yeah. So when we're talking, we could spend hours on just the different age groups and how to engage yeah. in sexual conversations. Now we can get into parenthood or I mean adulthood and even if we get into adulthood, we're going to find ourselves splitting from, what about individuals? Well, what about when we're in a coupleship? Well, how do you do this within open relationships or polyamory? Or how do you do this? And then religion and how do you balance? Yeah. We're going to find ourselves branching off even in that so regard. Much, so much. I, I oh think we my. should uh, change the podcast title to Everyday Sex Therapist. And <laughs> <laughs> so much material. <laughs> so much material. So I'm more than happy to come back on too if you have, uh, if, if any of your listeners are like, hey, you guys only touched on this or there was this question. You guys didn't answer that. And, and you guys want me to come back on and we can discuss more in depth on a specific topic like that. Much, very open to that, but we can continue on with it too. Okay. What, probably what I'll do then is, um, again, we're not super professional. So here I am talking about the back end stuff on here, but I'll, I, I might end up splitting this into two different pod, podcasts and um, we might do the 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 first half of this conversation and then I'll cut this next one into, into our next one. And perfect. And then uh, we'll probably just invite you back on every other week. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. <laughs> you get a lot of questions and we'll, we'll start answering them. It'd be a lot of fun. Awesome.